You all may be seated. It's so good to be back here with everybody again. It's been, I haven't been here since I think it was October uh, the last time. Unfortunately, it's because Chris is so sick that I'm here. And uh, he sent me a voicemail yesterday morning and uh, he really sounded very, very sick. Please keep him in your prayers as with the family, and I'm sure there's other families in the church too that have been going through sickness. So, But it's good to be here. Praise God. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. My text this morning is going to be taken from the parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. But while you're turning there, <clears throat> this is a sermon, by the way, that I've preached before. It's one of those sermons that have had a tremendous impact on my own life. I pray that it will impact your life as well. So while you're turning there, I want to read something to you. Uh, most of you are not old enough to know about Tante Cory. Tante Cory was Cory Ten Boom. Uh, some of you have read the hiding place, and so you know about her life and what they did and what happened to her and her sister, well, her whole family, but the book is, it winds up more about her and her sister in Ravensbrook concentration camp. And uh, so I want to read something to you that she, she had a ministry after the war to go to places where people had been tragically hurt by the war. One of those places was with it was Germany. And uh, this is excerpted from an article that she wrote uh, that entitled, I'm Still Learning to Forgive, and it was in Guide, Guidepost magazine in 1972. It's also, by the way, in the book, The Hiding Place. So while you're turning to Matthew 18, I want to read this to you to set the stage for what we're going to uh, study this morning in the Lord's parable of the unforgiving servant. <clears throat> It wasn't a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat a Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. <clears throat> Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There, will, there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones 
it came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you are. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. <clears throat> and I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, 
an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former God and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. We can almost say amen and go home. What could ever beat that? Let me give you a little example. Who's the most hated man in the world right now? You don't have to respond. We all know his name. But what would happen if when you went home, you turned on the news and if this thing came, this flash came on the news? Vladimir Putin repented of his sins and gave his life to Jesus Christ and found forgiveness. What would happen? This man that is so hated, just like that, all of a sudden, now he's a brother in the Lord, and don't think for one minute that it can't happen. It can. It can. We don't know. It can happen with anyone. I want to go to our text this morning, which is in Matthew's gospel, like I said, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I've actually, you can keep me in your prayers. I've been sick all winter long since I left here the last time I preached here in October. It's been, it's been a challenging winter, to say the least. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and begin with verse 21 and read to the end of the chapter, which is our text for this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king <clears throat> who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not, pay, uh, could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant 
as I have had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. So let's begin this morning by discussing Peter's question and the Lord's re reply. In verse 21, the Lord, uh, basically, the Lord is teaching on forgiveness in this parable uh, 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 prompted a question from Peter based on everything that Jesus has said before which is, what do we do about our brother who sins against us? How do we handle this in the church? And of course, you go to him, you bring one or two witnesses, and if they don't uh, repent and everything is brought before the whole church. So, as soon as Jesus got done speaking on that, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. I'm sure that Peter said, as many as seven times, Lord? Well done, Peter. You're such a great guy. Glad I chose you, by the way. <laughs> but Jesus answers Peter and says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. All of a sudden, Peter goes, oh. messed up again. Then in verse 23, he begins his parable with the word, therefore. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. We need to be very careful when we see that word, therefore, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So in other words, this whole issue of forgiveness has to do with being a citizen of the kingdom of God. If that's where our citizenship is, this is the people that we need to be. The two go hand in hand. No, you, can't, you can't be a kind of person that will not forgive and claim citizenship in the kingdom of God. You can't do that. We have to pay very, very close attention. Every time it says the kingdom of heaven and all, let all the parables like in chapter 13 of uh, uh, Matthew's gospel over, over and over again, for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like being forgiven and forgiving. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like many other things, but it's like this also. So Peter thought, hey, doing really great because he thought by comparison with what the rabbis taught he was being very very generous so what did the rabbis taught the rabbis taught that you forgive three times just three times and then the fourth time you don't forgive anymore and what did they base this on they based this on uh, the pro uh, the uh, the the minor prophetic book of Amos because this is one of the things that it says in Amos, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. From these verses, this is where the rabbis got this particular teaching from. Aren't you glad you don't get exegesis like that here in this church? <laughs> I know all about the rabbis' handling of the word of God and it's caused the Jewish people untold grief for centuries and even millennia. So since a man could not be any more gracious than God, he could not forgive more than three times. How can you outdo God? If God forgives three times, who am I to go and do it four times and be better than God? 
can't do that. You can't outbeat God. <laughs> can't happen. So I'm sure that Peter expected the Lord to commend him for his big-hearted generosity. But here's, here's how the Lord replies. Jesus answered Peter by saying, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations read 70 times seven. 70 times seven is equal to 490 times. Anybody ever get close to that? Having to forgive somebody 490 times? Maybe sometimes with raising kids, you get pretty close to 490 times, maybe even exceed at times. But for, for the most, 490 times, have you ever had to do that before? In other words, there is no limit to forgiveness. None. None. Nada. Zip. Nothing. And notice also this in what Jesus says, and this is very, very important. There are no exceptions. No one can say, oh, but you don't, because this is why, Brother Ed, you, you don't understand. You weren't there. You don't know the family I grew up in. Oh, that church I went to and how badly I got hurt there. You don't know about my brother and my sister, the way I was treated. You don't know what happened to me in school when I was growing up. Oh, you don't know the way I've been suffering, the way people hurt me. You don't understand. If you only understood, you would understand why I can't forgive. No exceptions. None. I think Ravensbrook pretty much settles that once and for all, wouldn't you say? Anybody here ever gone through anything close to Ravensbrook? Having to suffer like that? Forgiveness is to be granted whenever the occasion for it arises. Whenever. The Lord's answer to Peter seems to be an allusion to Genesis 4.24. In Genesis 4.24, uh, verses 23 and 24, it says, Lamach said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamach. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamach's is 77-fold. So what Lamach is doing is upping the ante on God's promise to Cain, and there, it's, it, it is a strong possibility that this, Jesus is alluding to this, this difference between the seven and the 70. Peter saying, how many times should I forgive? Seven times, and the Lord says no, 77 times or seven times, seven times 70 times that this is a, uh, uh, an allusion to this. So by alluding to this, the Lord is contrasting Lamach's un, uh, uh, unlimited vengefulness with the un, unlimited forgiveness that a Christian is always to give. Again, remember, there are no exceptions. None. None. Rape, murder, incest, uh, infidelity, divorce, adultery. No exceptions. Our duty as Christians is to forgive and leave the results into God's hands and let God take care of all of the, all of the fallout, whatever it is that anybody, whatever, 
anybody has done to us, whatever the circumstances, the situation is, we forgive, we give it to the Lord. You know what happens when we do that? First of all, we're free. You don't forgive, you're a prisoner. You're the one that's getting hurt the most. So when people, they just want to hold on to something, I've got to hold on to it. I can't forgive them. I've got to hold on to it. Who's the one that's suffering the most? I've got a situation like this in my, in my own family with my niece and my nephew. They've been like, like this for years. Uh, they, came from, uh, they came from what I would call a very dysfunctional family. My, sister's, my sister was, was their mother, and there was a divorce in the family. There's all kinds of stuff, and there's all this hatred going back and forth, and it's eating them up alive. Each one of them wants to get, you know, my, my niece wants to get at my nephew. My nephew wants to get at my niece. Who's getting hurt the most? My niece is hurting herself. My nephew is hurting him, himself, and their families are suffering along with it. There are several lessons that we need to learn in Jesus' teaching here, and this is very, very important. Please pay attention because there is, a, there is Jesus is giving this teaching as an answer to how it is that we can forgive, how we're supposed to handle these things. The first lesson to be learned from this parable is that the key to being able to forgive lies in making a contrast. Making a contrast. The contrast of the enormous debt that we owe to God because of our sin versus the very, very insignificant sin that anybody can ever sin against us, even if it is murder, even if it is rape, even if it is incest, even if it is adultery, whatever it is, it's infinitesimal compared to the debt that God has forgiven us in Christ. In verse 24, Jesus said that the enormous debt that we owe to God was equivalent to 10,000 talents. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents doesn't mean very much to us today. So to try to understand the enormity of this particular debt, a talent was the highest unit in, uh, in currency. 10,000 was the highest Greek numeral. Jesus is using the very biggest. Jesus, Jesus loved hype. He uses it. He uses hyperbole in many, many times. So he's taking the very, very highest that people can understand and comparing it with something else. I once read in Table Talk magazine <clears throat> that 10,000 talents is upwards of a trillion dollars in modern currency, and that was in 2008. What do you think it would be worth now? One talent was equal to about 20 years' wages for a working man. So if we multiply 10,000 talents by 20 years, we learn that, you know how long it would take for you to, uh, to pay back to our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus for what we've done? 200,000 years. In other words, never. Impossible. Now, this is what Jesus is. Now, these people understood what a talent was. And you say 10,000 talents. It's like turning on the news and seeing that we owe, what, $29, 30000000000000 trillion that we're in debt and stuff like this. Who, who, can, who can even figure, you know, how many zeros? The, you know, 
the people that Jesus is talking to, his disciples, they would understand when this is said, this enormous debt. So there's no way the debt could be paid. This man's only hope was that his master, moved with compassion, would forgive him. Cancel the debt. 10,000 talents represents, number one, the enormous debt of our sins. Secondly, the impossibility of retiring the debt. Thirdly, the cost of our forgiveness, which was the blood of God's son. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. I read it instead of singing it to you because I love you. And I don't want, you, I don't want to give you an opportunity not to be able to forgive me. Because this could be a debt that's just, just too much. Contrast this with a very small debt that anyone could ever owe us. A hundred denarii. In verse 28, Jesus says, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. The ESV margin says a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So a hundred denarii, it's a hundred days' wages compared to 200,000 years. Or... Approximately one six hundred thousandth of the first servant's debt. Now, just think, be thinking about this. Be thinking about your own sin. As we're going through this, think about your own sin. Think about why Jesus died, what Jesus did. That Jesus drank the cup to the dregs that we would never have to drink it. Think about that. And then think about Maybe somebody that you've been struggling to forgive, a situation or whatever. Think about that as we're going through this. And make this, because this is one of the, one, one, this is one of the principles, one of the keys to all of this is being able to make this comparison that when something happens, we, don't, we just don't zero in on what happened to us and keep thinking about it and, 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 and just grieving over it and going over in our mind over and over and over. And the more you go over the worse it gets and the more it builds up and the more angry we get. And then all of a sudden, uh, unforgiveness and anger uh, 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 becomes bitterness and it just goes on and on and it begins to eat at us over and over. No, gotta, don't go there. Stop. Lord, look. Look what you forgave me. I could never repay you. What is it that anybody could ever do to me that ever compares to that? You know, if you take something and you bring it down to a manageable size, you can deal with it. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Bring this down to something that you can get a handle on. Because if you don't, you're just looking at whatever it has happened to you. And this thing uh, uh, looms larger than life. And there's no way, it seems like it's the whole world. There's nothing worse than this. I, I've been hurt so bad. One British commentator drew this vivid picture to contrast the two debts. This is amazing. Suppose they were paid in sixpences. The 100 denarii debt could be carried in one pocket. The 10,000 talent debt 
would take to carry it an army of about 8,600 carriers, each carrying a sack of sixpences, 60 pounds in weight, and they would form at a distance of a yard apart a line five miles long. This helps, doesn't it? Instead of what can be carried in one pocket <laughs> compared to this. So the whole point here is there's nothing that anyone can ever do to you or to me that can ever compare to the sin that nailed our Lord Jesus to the cross. God in Christ forgave us a debt that was worth upwards of a trillion dollars. 2008. Basically, there's no price on it, okay? A debt that would take 200,000 years to pay off, or really, never could. Anything that anyone could ever do to us is a debt that can be paid off in 100 days. If God has forgiven us the incalculable debt that we owe to him, we must forgive the meager debts that anyone could ever owe to us. When we refuse to forgive it, it's because, number one, we don't fully comprehend the depth of our own sinfulness, and we don't fully comprehend the cost that God uh, the cost of God to procure our forgiveness in the death of his son. That's the reason right there. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two. To be learned from this parable, <clears throat> and this gets a little sticky, but I'll try to explain it in a way that, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to be forgiven, <clears throat> you must forgive. And the first thing that comes into our mind, okay, Ed, but what about justification by faith? How does justification by faith work with this? I'll, I'll try to explain it. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus said the very same thing, basically, in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, 12, he instructed us to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice that when it says forgive us our debts, it's basically, basically saying, as you as also have forgiven those who are indebted to you, okay? Then in verses 14 and 15, he added, and if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you, don't, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So how do we reconcile this? This becomes a little bit problematic. This is one of those texts that we would call these, these difficult texts that we have to deal with. How, how do we, some texts seem to be able to contradict other texts. We come to something like this with forgiveness. But I have been forgiven. <clears throat> I'm justified by faith. The grace of God, I've been justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, by what Christ did. I'm justified. I can never lose that. It's once for all, all my sins that are past, all my sins that are present, all of my sins of future, of all been taken. Jesus took those sins upon him in, 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 instead of us having 
to uh, answer to God for those things. Jesus paid the price for that. So what does Jesus mean here? But if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Well, but I thought we were forgiven. Weren't we? Hello? Anybody here? Weren't we forgiven? Yeah, we were forgiven. Can we ever lose that? Come on, we're not Arminians. We're secure. We're secure because of what Christ did. God is the one who initiated salvation. It was not our idea. It's, we're not children of God because we repented and exercised faith. We're children of God because God did a work in our heart first and regenerated us and gave us a heart that wanted to cry out, Abba, Father. Gave us a heart that wanted to reach out in, in faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God did it first. And that's why Paul goes in Romans 8, nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. But, uh, but what happens if I don't forgive? Is that going to separate me? No, nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us. So, Ed, how do you climb out of this hole you just dug? <laughs> one way of understanding it, which is, eh, uh, one commentator in his commentary on, uh, on Matthew said this, an unwillingness to extend mercy is proof that a person has never received mercy. God's forgiveness must of necessity create a forgiving spirit. I believe that's right. I don't really believe that that really answers this, what's the word, a conundrum? Is there a conundrum that we have here in this, this situation? Uh, there is a brother that, uh, his, his name is Jay Adams. Uh, some of you might know of Jay Adams, other of you don't. Jay Adams really is the father of the biblical counseling movement. Jay Adams is with the Lord right now. Uh, Jay Adams, I, I collect these books about difficult passages of Scripture. Jay Adams has got a book, uh, uh, it's called 50 Difficult Passages Explained. This is what Jay Adams say, says, and I think that he hits the nail right on the head. I'm quoting from him. Who is speaking? This is in the Lord's Prayer, okay? Who is speaking? God, the Heavenly Father, who is also addressed as such in the Lord's Prayer. To whom? The Heavenly Father is speaking to his children in Christ, all believers. About what? About trespasses and the forgiveness of the same. Now, it's clear that the words neither will your father forgive you your trespasses, have nothing to do with salvation. The transaction referred to takes place amongst those who are his spiritual children. The issue of salvation is not in jeopardy. Christ has dealt with the matter once for all. Indeed, it was by his death on the cross for guilty sinners that those who trusted in him as Savior were brought into the heavenly family. So then, if salvation is not the issue before us, what is? He goes on to say this. The Lord's Prayer and its footnote, which is the, what he says when he says, forgive us our, our trespasses as we forgive others, and then he goes on and adds to it what happens if we don't forgive, neither will our heavenly Father forgive us. So the Lord's Prayer and its footnote on forgiveness have to do with parental forgiveness, not judicial forgiveness. Parental forgiveness, not judicial forgiveness. 
Judicial forgiveness has to do with justification. This is a parental thing. This is a father dealing with his sons and daughters. The latter, as I just said, was settled for all time by the death of Christ for his people. The former, however, is an ongoing family matter. If a member of the family of God refuses to forgive others, the Heavenly Father will refuse to forgive him until he does. In other words, he says, don't come to me asking for forgiveness when you refuse to do the same for others. A similar idea clearly comes out in a specific situation. Peter says that if a Christian husband fails to treat his wife properly, his prayers will be hindered. Interesting, isn't it? If you're not right with your wife, don't come to me and ask anything. I'm not going to listen to you. Go make it right with your wife first. Then come back and we can talk. That's what we're dealing with here. You refuse to forgive? Don't come to me. Don't come looking to me. Don't be asking me things. Go and forgive and then come back to me and we'll talk about it. We'll deal with it. Go first. It, doesn't Jesus say the same thing I believe in the Sermon on the Mount? First go and make it right with that other one. That's what you need to do first. Then come and make your sacrifice. Go make this right first, then we can make this right. So what happens in a situation like this? We're forgiven in God. We are. Once and for all, forever. But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, your relationship with God is not broken, but your fellowship with him is. Deal with the fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins. Make that right. <clears throat> Getting back to the husband and wife. Brother, you just had a fight with your wife. Don't go, have your, don't go having your quiet time. Don't go into the Word and start reading Scripture and so on and so forth. Go make it right with your wife and then have your devotions after that. Because you know if you try to have your devotions, there's the, the ceiling comes like down to here. You know it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Forgiveness has got to be given first. It's got to be made right first. And then this becomes the open. Until then... It's closed. I think that, for me, this answers this conundrum. I see this as being something that is, is not judicial. It's, it's a family thing. It's a family thing. So our relationship with God can never be broken, but our fellowship with him can be damaged. You know, we can grieve, the, the Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. What happens if we grieve the Holy Spirit? Prayer is not going anywhere. Fellowship has been not broken, but it's just been so, so much damage has been done to it that there's no place to go until it's made right. I think restitution is a very, very important thing in the Christian life. Not just asking for forgiveness, but the one that you hurt, go to them and make it right. If you owe somebody something, do it. If you stole from somebody, you know, a... Uh, 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 ask for forgiveness and make that right. Uh, you know, always make something right first. 
Some further thoughts to consider here. Granting forgiveness is a command from our Lord. It's not just good advice. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how Jesus, that's how Jesus uh, uh, defined, oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. It was so nice when we were singing here. It was just warm all over and I got emotional. I love the Lord. But are you going to obey him? If we don't obey him, we might get all mushy-gushy when we sing and all these wonderful things and stuff like that. But Jesus said, no, I don't want to know about the mushy-gushy stuff. I don't want to know about that. Will you obey me? Will you do what I've told you to do? Will you do that? If you do that, then I know that you love me. If you won't do that, forget all of the all of the snuggles and all of the, all of the nice feelings. Forget all of that. I don't need that. I need you to obey me. Uh, John, and John who recorded this in the Gospel of John, writes in 1 John, you know, John is in your face kind of a guy. <laughs> you never have to, you never scratch your head and said, I wonder what John meant. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, you're pretty dull. <laughs> You're pretty dull. John, so John, having sat under Jesus' ministry here, John writes, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I think, uh, I, I think uh, there's a brother that just meant all the world to me who's with the Lord now. He said so many things that I remember and there was these short pithy little statements. And he said this one time, and it's something that really stuck with me, and I pray it would stick with you. He said this, you might have a reason, but you don't have a right. Nobody's denying the reason. Nobody's saying you don't have a reason. People generally don't get all mad and stuff like that for no reason at all. If you do, you really need help. <laughs> you might have a reason, but you don't have a right. As a Christian, you do not, we do not have a right to withhold forgiveness, no matter what the offense. We don't. And now I want to say something. I want to say something that I believe you need to hear. I hope everything I have been saying you need to hear. <laughs> you guys have been hurt. There's been misunderstanding in the planting of this church. Forgive. Forgive. Don't hold on to anything. Don't hold on to hurts. Some of you might understand what I'm saying more than others, but I, I, I feel I just want to say that to you. Forgive. Give it to God. Just forgive. Let God take care of everything. Don't hold on to anything. Go on with what God has called you to do and leave everybody else to the Lord. But don't hold anything against them. And so many of these kind of things, there are misunderstandings and stuff like that. It gets complicated. It's never always just cut and dry. Just forgive. 
go on. Same thing in your own personal life. You have reasons. You have lots of reasons. But you do, as a Christian, you don't have a right to withhold forgiveness. You don't. But we also need God's grace. Oh, but forgiveness also is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. Remember what Corey Ten Boom said? And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And that will can function regardless of the temperature in the, of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I could do that much. You supply the feeling. What she's, what she's dealing with here, she's dealing with obedience. Obey. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey me. Forgive this God from Ravensbrook. Forgive him. I know he played a hand in, 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 your sister, in your sister Betsy's death, but forgive him. I know, we don't know how many people's lives were lost because of this man, but I've forgiven him. You forgive him. And so she, she knew she had to do that. So where she couldn't stick her hand out, in obedience to God, she put her hand out, trusting that the Lord would meet her. And right there, that's, if we, in whatever it is, whether it's the issue of, of forgiveness or whatever, whenever the word, we're confronted with the word of God, if we would just obey, if we would make that step to God to obey, God will meet us. And the, and, and, and the power and the grace will be there in order to be able to do, you know, to be able to take care of this situation. God is waiting. God has already done a work in our heart. God is waiting for us to respond to him. If we will respond in obedience to him, he will be there to help us. Now, in the case of like what, what happened here with Corey Ten Boom, that when she did, she's describing this electricity going down from a shoulder into her arm into a hand. We might not feel we might not feel any electricity whatsoever. We might not feel anything. Just go ahead and do it. Just obey the Lord. God promises us if we will obey Him, He will take care of things. We have to trust Him in this. Obey. I've had so many opportunities on my ministry over the years to say to people, what is it about obedience that you have such a problem with? Why can't you just obey? Don't, you know, you get in counseling situations by husbands and wives, and they say, well, but you know what he did, and he's going back five years and 10 years and 15 years, he did all of it. But God told you to love him and to forgive him and to submit to him. Well, but, 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 but. No, but God said you are supposed to love him and submit to him and forgive him. But, 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 but. No. Why is it you just can't obey? You know, you don't need, none of us need a, uh, a degree in theology to understand this. The Christian life is really simple. Trust and obey. I promised I wouldn't sing, but. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Just obey and trust the Lord with the results. 
So grace and obedience are not opposed to each other. Paul writing to his son Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, exhorts him by saying, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I like the way it is in the New American Standard translates it. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling his son Timothy that he cannot be passive concerning God's grace. He must be active concerning God's grace. Brothers and sisters, passivity is a killer. We are not to be passive. Passivity is a killer. If you let things lie and you don't deal with them, it's going to be your undoing. And another point here is God's grace, we need to deal with God's grace and the cause of bitterness. It's a very powerful uh, statement. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Availing ourselves of God's grace is the key to freedom from bitterness. Bitterness is the bad fruit of unforgiveness. That's where if you don't deal with something when it happens, it's only going to fester. It only gets worse. If it's not dealt with, it always gets worse. It never gets better. So bitterness is the bad fruit of unforgiveness, and its cause is not availing ourselves of the grace of God. So you say that you can't forgive. The only biblical answer, the only, uh, uh, the, the only answer, the biblical answer, is that you have failed to obtain the grace of God. That's the, only excru- that's the only answer to it. If you can't forgive, the reason why you can't forgive is you haven't availed yourself of the grace of God. If you say you can't forgive, the only answer, the biblical answer, you failed to obtain the grace of God. Once again, Corey Ten Boom. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was, the simple, it was as simple and as horrible as that. The other bad fruit of bitterness is that it causes trouble and by it many become defiled. This bitterness between my sister and her husband spread to uh, their son and their daughter, and now to the marriages that they have and the children that they have. It just keeps going on and on and on. If you don't deal with the hurts in you, it will spread to other people. We're going to minister to each other one way or the other. We're either going to minister life to one another or we're going to minister death to one another. So it's important for everybody in this church to be right with God. Because you're a part of this church. And what goes on in your own life, your own walk with the Lord, affects everybody around you. Eventually it will. And not only that, God knows, the devil knows, the angels in heaven, all the demons in hell knows everything that's going on. So even if something looks good, God knows and it will affect the life of a congregation. Every single one of us has got a responsibility to do our part as a member of a local congregation. And part of that is that we're going to walk with God. We're going to walk in faith and repentance and forgiveness. We're going to be people who are going to obey God, no matter what. 
I'm going to obey, even if I don't fully understand, if I, I don't know where this is going to lead, I'm going to trust the Lord. If God's word says it, it's got to be true. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to step out on his word, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to trust him that everything is going to be all right. And then there is God's providence. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. How many things? All things. All things. And what is the thing that's going to work? How does it work out? Verse 29 tells us how it works out, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And so do you think that in God's providence... You think all of these hurts come by accident? Is it quesada, sada, whatever will be, will be? Is it just, is it karma? So somebody really hurt you? Oh, this just happened? Who is the first cause of everything? (coughs) Who's the first cause of everything but without sin? Who was it that got Corey Ten Boom and Betsy Ten Boom sent to Ravensbrook? Who? Was it the Nazis? Are they the ones that did it? Who's the Lord over the one that hurt you? Who's the first cause of everything in your life? You know, It helps to understand this. God is so faithful. You know, the word of God says that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to the day of completion. It will. You can bank on it. You can take that to the bank. So you get your feathers ruffled in the church and you decide, I can't deal with it here. I'm going to go someplace else. Guess what God has got waiting for you over the place where you're going? Because there's something that God wants to get at in you. And he is ruthless because he made a promise. He's going to work this out in your life. The one who began it is the one who's going to complete it. He's going to do it. As the man said, either pay me now or you pay me later. But you will pay me. There's um, there's a Bible teacher that Susie and I used to love to listen to. And he used to say this, I'm going to butcher it, I'm going to try to paraphrase it, I'm going to butcher it, but he used to say this, God fixes the fix to fix you. And if you fix the fix that God fixed to fix you, God is going to fix another fix to fix you. What is it that we spend our life all, all, all too often doing? Trying to fix things that we don't like. And God is the author of all of this. Someone once said that if you, you my, the same friend that I quoted uh, uh, earlier to you about, if you don't, you know, you might have a reason, but you don't have a right, also said, if you can be offended, you will be. So it, it, this is the way I like to look at it. You got this, this button. You got this button. It says push on it. And somebody comes over, 
pushes your button. The real issue is it's your button. That person was just a servant to the Lord to see that your button was pushed. Because God doesn't want you to have that button anymore. Jesus didn't have the button. If we're going to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus doesn't have that. He was sinless. God doesn't want us to have it. So what does God do? God brings his little helpers into our life to always to do all of these things, to expose things in our life that we need to repent of and make right with God by obeying him. It's just, it's as simple as that. It hurts like the dickens. Nobody likes it, but it's the Christian life that I like to describe as death on the installment plan. Just making another payment. Remember the old books that used to have making a car payment? You rip off another, send it in with a check. Just here's another, making another payment on being like Jesus. But God is faithful to do that. God's providence. Where's, the, where, where's this, wonderful, this wonderful example in, in, uh, in the book of Genesis of how this works? It's Joseph. Look what his brothers did to him. And then he gets carried off into Egypt and everything. He's brought into part of his house. Everything is working fine. Part of, part of his wife notices, hey, pretty nice looking guy. And before you know it, he's back in, he's back, he's back in the slammer again. And then he asked, I forget whether he asked it was the, uh, the, 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 uh, the baker or the, or, 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 or the cupbearer, which, which one it was. I think it was the baker. You know, well, the baker gets out first and everything, but, you know, remember me. Nope, forgets it, and he languishes there. But then his brothers show up because there was a famine in the land. I wonder who caused the famine. <laughs> who is behind all of this? God did such a work in Joseph where he wasn't bitter. He saw the hand of God in his life. And the result was a whole nation was saved. Redemption came to a whole nation of people because of what he did, because he saw the hand of God in his life. It's so important that we see the hand of God in our life and that we just don't look and see, oh, these things, all of these hurts, everything that we've gone through. And we've all gone through. I mean, I, I don't know how many hours it would take for me to tell you about the hurts that I've gone through in my own life. I mean, some things just so bad, I just want to, basically, I just want to die. We've all, to one degree or another, we've all gone through things. God is the one. Either God uses this to bring us to Christ in the first place, or he uses us to conform us into the image of his son. Either way, it's for our benefit, and we should not see these things as accidents. So Peter's question in the Lord's reply, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Forgiveness has never to been withheld. The next time that an issue comes up like this, you need to remember, my sin, my sin that put Jesus on the cross, that caused him to, drink, to, to experience the wrath of God to the full, my sin, worth 
a debt would take 200,000 years to pay off. And I compare that with whatever it is that somebody did to me. I say, you know, that's not such a big deal after all. And we forgive. And we forgive. If you're a Christian, you will forgive. To do otherwise is to call into question your Christian faith and act like an unbeliever. You know, Paul says so many times when he writes to the Corinthians, basically saying, you know, you're acting like a bunch of unbelievers. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know what God did? You're acting like unbelievers. You're acting like people that have no hope, no faith. So I leave you with this, and I ask you to really consider this. And, you know, this is sort of like the lab. But this is the classroom, really. This is the classroom. We're having a, we're having a seminar. We're studying forgiveness. But then there's a lab work that goes along with the classwork. And the lab work is life. And that's where God has us. Let's remember these things. If we take these principles that are in this particular teaching that Jesus gave, it will serve us greatly. And we could be a people who can forgive, just like Corey Ten Boom forgave this guard. And I'm willing, to, almost willing to bet there's nobody in this room that ever had to go through what she went through. But we don't know what the future holds. And for some of us, even if it's a small little thing and it bothers us, we just blow it up out of proportion and make it bigger than what it really was in the first place. Let us remember these things. Let us be a people who praise God for the forgiveness that we have in Christ and live as those who are forgiven. Because of all people in the world, Christians are the one that should be able to forgive others. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just come to you, not only on behalf of my brothers and sisters, but for myself as well. It's always sometimes so easy to talk about these things when nothing is going on, but then something happens and there's been a hurt and so on and so forth. Help us to remember. Help us to remember the 10,000 talents, the trillions of dollars, the amount of time that it would take to pay it off compared to 100 days wages for a day laborer. Help us to remember these things. Help us to remember your teaching. I pray by the Holy Spirit you do such a work in us that the greatest desire that we have in life is to please you, Lord, and to be like your son and to be willing to embrace the cross, not trying to save our life, but losing our life for your sake and for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the witness of the church to the world. Father, we commit this into your hands. We want to be like your son. And Lord, sometimes it's just so painful. Help us to keep our focus on what it is you're trying to make us like, who it is you're trying to make us like, rather than focusing on the situations and the difficulties that we're going through. We love you. Let us prove it to you by obeying you, because we know that your grace is sufficient. We ask this all 
In Jesus' name, amen.